Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. Pastor Connie takes a look at the amazing benefits of embracing God's hope in our lives. Let's listen together. Today's sermon is called Use Your Benefits. I just want you to know where I'm going to end up in case I meander along the way. I'm planning on ending up there. Use your benefits. Now, if we were in the mountains at our church retreat as we were last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, I would have you get into groups and tell each other about something good that has happened to you. It could be from a long time ago or from last week. And I would have you talk to each other about it. But we're not gonna do that today. Um, But I am asking you to think of something good, something joyful that has happened to you. Could be meeting that one special person, it could be getting that job that you really wanted, or maybe the birth of a child, or maybe winning a prize, or passing a big test, or getting into school, or a program, maybe it was an incredible gift. Do you have something in mind, something good that has happened to you? And I bet that when that good thing happened to you, that you also thought about the ramifications, the benefits that were going to flow into your life from that joyful event. I bet you dreamed a little bit about what a difference it would make in your life. Now that that joyous thing has occurred, it opens up horizons of possibilities. And this is the vantage point of the passage we're going to read today. Something very, very good has happened, and now the benefits that flow from that good thing are going to be explored. We are in a sermon series entitled Dimensions of Hope, so look for hope as we read. We are in the book of Romans right now, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the very, very good thing that has happened to us is that we have been justified by faith. We have been made right with God. Now, these words are so familiar to us, so familiar that our minds, upon thinking of them, may begin to think of some very important things, really important things like, what am I going to do this afternoon? Or maybe I should get going on that assignment since Monday is tomorrow, or what is happening in that show that I'm binge watching right now, really important things that we think about during church, like that. Justified by faith. Those familiar words become like wallpaper. They make the room look nicer, but then they fade into the background. And we've gotten so used to this miracle that we don't actually think of it as a miracle any longer. Whereas these words instead should shake the ground we stand on as if a giant had just stomped into our lives. They should stop everything mundane that is going on and take our breath away and fill our eyes with tears. Someone said there's no question of God being reconciled to us but only of us 
being reconciled to God. God does not need to be reconciled for God loves even when he is angry. And moreover, God does not cast the burden of his wrath on us so that we should have to be set free from it. Through his son, he has taken his wrath on himself so that it cannot touch us or destroy us. The mercy seat instead of the judgment seat. The wrath of God is destructive and we don't have to face it because we are justified by faith. This is the very good, very joyous thing that has happened to us. And this one specific particular fact, a fact who happens to be the person of Jesus Christ who is so miraculous and so real, Paul, the writer of our words today, stands before Jesus amazed. And he will spend the next three chapters writing about the difference that this makes and the benefits that follow. Salvation has been described as having three tenses. The present tense of salvation, which we, oh, let me go, let me start with the past. The past tense of salvation, which we have described is being justified by Jesus, being reconciled to God through Jesus' death. This is a done deal. It's already happened. Our salvation is a done deal. The future tense of salvation is the security that we have from the coming judgment of God that we have received through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's to come. But the present tense of salvation is where we live every day, halfway between the past and the future, a place of peace, celebration, suffering, struggle, hope, love, reconciliation, and even more celebration. And we toggle between these tenses all the time, as Paul does in his writing. So the first benefit of salvation, Paul tells us, is peace. God's righteousness, God's justice, which should naturally terrify us, flow instead through his son, who took the brunt of it and leads to our peace. That's an amazingly unexpected outcome. So let's just think about the justice that we have through our politicians, through our authorities, through our governing systems, is anyone perfectly satisfied with a state of justice in America today? Can we say that our land, in our land, justice flows like mighty waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream? Paul was writing to the Romans at a time when Rome was a world power, and he wrote during the famous Pax Romana, a 200-year golden age that brought about order, prosperous stability, domination, expansion, and thus was named the Roman peace. And Roman citizens had great benefits and could live in peace, but in reality, military power and oppressive force held it all together. Revolts were continually breaking out all over the place, resulting in a constant state of rolling warfare and for the subjugated people, such as the Jews, the Roman peace built on their backs was no peace at all. And Paul is writing as a Jew to the Romans. And he didn't know it then, but he's writing to us as Americans with the strongest possible message that God's justice leads to peace, not a cessation of violence, but to a profound inner 
well-being that has resulted from being deeply reconciled, having made things right with God, and then that deep well-being peace flows out into community, communal peace, as we practice the justice-making peace with which God connected us to himself. Justice-making peace is entirely different from force. And God knows all about making real peace with a hateful enemy. He has had lots of practice. Hateful enemies, lots of practice. And have his people learn from him? I feel like American Christianity today is at a bit of a preschool level, that we are more familiar with the stage of hitting each other over the head and taking the toys which belong to me. Well, because God gifted it to us, real, true, everlasting, undeserved peace is our present tense salvation because we can experience it right now in the climate in which we are living, in the turmoil in which we are living. We can experience it in a pandemic, in our political environment. The peace that we have, other people don't have access to. So that brings us through verse one. That's a densely packed verse. I'm gonna read it again and I'm gonna add verse two in Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Access is a very big deal. It doesn't matter how bold and beautiful grace is if it's unattainable to us. It might as well be a glittering star in the sky, very impressive at night, but having no practical impact on our lives. But our verse says we have obtained. It's like clench your fists. We have it, we hold it in our hands, we possess it in our treasure trove. We have access, we have obtained access to God's grace to God's favor and gifting. The Greek word for access carries that connotation of royalty, of entering the chamber of the king of kings. The presence of God overflowing with love and grace is our safety place, our resting place. And we have the privilege of simply walking in anytime we want to. We don't need a key. We don't need a password. We don't need a special code. We simply enter into God's presence and we are standing in grace instead of judgment. Huge benefit of salvation. So think about this past week, this past year. Have you messed up? Have you hurt someone? Have you done something you regret? Have you sinned? Have you taken for yourself something that is not yours to take? Or have you selfishly refused to act in service to others because of the inconvenience to yourself? Have you thought about yourself first at the expense of your community? Have you failed to love because my needs come first, because that other person is too hard, too impossible, too aggravating to love? Or if you have passed all of these test questions perfectly, have you failed to love your enemy? That one always gets me. 
on another track of self-inquiry? Has life beat you down? Is reality too ugly, too angering, too depleting, too sad, and you can't get away from it, and there's no let up in sight? Are you worried about the future, about yourself, about the ones you love? The relief that comes with entering into the grace of God, the place of God's gifts and favor. And we come bearing heavy burdens and we have the privilege of laying them down. This access to great privilege has come to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this too is present salvation experienced here and now. So I just wanna take a moment, why don't you just close your head and access the grace of God. Just you yourself go into that place of privilege just for a moment. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Burdens roll off, we get centered, we get deepened in this place when we use this benefit. And because we already have this, we hold this, we stand in this immense miraculous gift of God, we can boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Now, that's a loaded phrase. Boasting is a funny word. It brings to mind pride and the Bible's admonition not to boast. So it might not be the best English word for what Paul meant. Some translations say we rejoice in our hope. And that kind of comes closer. I found one translation that said we celebrate our hope, which brings together the confidence that we have and the joy that we have of standing where we are now in this immense place of privilege based on the work of Jesus Christ in the past and looking towards the future because what does God promise us? Not a big bank account, not perfect health, not a problem-free life. No, something bigger, something shinier, something that dwarfs 90% of our prayers were shooting too low, 90% of them. Dwarfs it. God's promise is nothing short of sharing his own glory with us. And if you weren't impressed before with the benefits of salvation, maybe this one will catch your eye. The path of salvation takes us to the place where we are sharing the glory of God. And since we're tracking hope, I want you to notice in this verse that the content of our hope is glory. God's glory, I, I think about it as a little like knowing that we can't look at the sun straight on because it will blind us, but that brilliance attracts us and we wish we could see into it. That's kind of my own feeble attempt at describing that. A better per, a person described it as the glory of God is that illumination of a person's whole being by the radiance of divine glory, which is every person's true destiny, but which we was lost through sin. And it will be restored when the redemption is finally consummated at the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
When God puts right everything that is wrong with full justice and full love, that is a revelation of God's glory. And we get a share in his glory. We get not just to see it, but to experience it because the world's redemption includes Connie's redemption. Put your own name in there if you are a follower of Jesus. Where I myself in transform, am transformed. So Paul is not talking about a set of goggles that we can put on to witness God's glory from 93.07 million miles away, which is the sun to us. Instead, he's talking about us being an active, God's glory being an active, integral, integral part of irradiating God's glory through what he has done in our lives. That's future tense salvation. That's ahead of us. So the benefits from these two verses just keep flowing like a series of cascading waterfalls carrying the water of life. Each one is magnificent and it's on its own, but seen all together, it's really stunning. And it's too much really for one person to take in, but we are going to take it, aren't we? The benefits that Jesus gave us, we're going to take them and we're going to jump into that pool and swim and splash and enjoy those benefits to our heart's content. It's almost an embarrassment of riches. We don't have to ration it. And yet we're not done. The benefits continue in the next section, verses three through five, Romans chapter five. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now that was a little bit of an unexpected detour. Suffering comes next as a benefit of being justified by faith, of being following the Lord. Boasting in our suffering, that sounds very, very strange. And it sounds stranger when we use those other words. What about rejoicing in our suffering? What about celebrating in our suffering? Can we do that? I am really a wimp when it comes to pain. I don't like any kind of suffering, but I very much appreciate that Paul does not deny the reality of hardship in our lives. I personally love the land of denial. It's my favorite coping mechanism when something is wrong, but I'd rather the Bible tackle suffering head on and honestly. And suffering is the context in which we live out our present tense salvation. It has to be talked about because it's our reality. Suffering comes to all of us. Present tense salvation doesn't exempt us from present tense suffering. Although, note to self, future tense salvation will happen with no future tense suffering. That's, that's what we have to look forward. But suffering comes to us now. And I don't think that Paul is telling us to be happy about our suffering. Rather, I think he's, he's looking down the line to past suffering, to the end product. The only way that suffering could be a benefit is if it draws us closer to God 
if it increases our faith, if it helps us to be God-centered and to live a God-dependent life. Because is it true for you that when you suffer, your instinct is to run to God? Okay, so what happened to me yesterday is that at 1.15, I realized as I was praying to God for help in the parking lot of Michael's store, when I could not get my car to start, and I was praying to the Lord to just, like next time I turn the key, just make it start. That's what my prayer. And then it occurred to me as I did that, I said, Connie, this is your first prayer to God today. 1.15 p.m. And I said, no, no, Lord, that's not true. I prayed to you, no, breakfast, I ate standing up working. So I didn't even pray over breakfast. What about my shower? That's where I usually, I hadn't even taken a shower at 1.15 p.m. yet. So I had not prayed during my shower like I sometimes do. What about lunch? I hadn't yet eaten lunch. So all of my normal prayer times, I had been too busy to pray until suffering came on me. And then I turned myself to the Lord. I know you are all much, much better than I am, but suffering does turn us immediately to the Lord. Of course, the danger is that suffering could turn us in the opposite way. It could turn us into self-pity and bitterness and anger, but we cannot get a meaningful faith without suffering. That's what I have observed. Your faith doesn't matter much as long as everything is happy and blissful. Paul points out that without suffering, we don't get endurance. That unyielding perseverance in the face of aggressive misfortune, endurance. This is not a word that connotes victorious conquering. No, there's no pressing ahead with this kind of endurance that Paul is talking about. It's more of staying put and facing what comes without dismay, of standing our ground, that kind of endurance. Without suffering, we don't get character, Paul tells us. And the word there means tried and tested like gold going through a hot fire in order to get the impurities out. Christian character is built over the long haul. And finally, Paul says, if we don't suffer, we don't get hope. Now, how did you see this coming? Because I can see suffering leading to endurance. That's an easy line to make. Endurance leading to character. That's an easy hop to make. But then that leading to hope? No other religious system has that kind of a through line to hope. Hindus follow suffering, that pathway of suffering, endurance, character, into fatalism. So if something's going to happen, it's just going to happen, and there's no way you can do anything about it, so just accept it. Buddhists follow that line into emptying oneself of emotion. Suffering can't harm you if you can't feel it, so just don't let it in. Stoics valued endurance, patience, they valued character, but they never arrived at hope through that pathway. But we know, we know because the God we have takes us through a long journey of the wilderness into the promised land. We know the promised land 
is after the wilderness. And we never have to settle at this is all there's ever going to be. Just this suffering. This is all it's ever going to be. Because we know already that the future tense salvation will be completed when we share God's glory. And that gives us real hope. The content of our hope is glory. But the completer of our hope is God. And that makes our hope a sure thing. Guaranteed to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's another benefit we get, whose job it is to pour God's love into our hearts. Undisappointable hope, powerful love, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When something good happens to us and we imagine all the benefits that are going to come to us as a result, well, those dreams don't always come true. We hadn't seen down the line how this hard thing was going to happen for that good benefit, that joyful thing that happened to us back then. But the benefits that God gives keep coming and coming until our future salvation is realized. I was in a, an office on the second floor of the building when my chair shook and I looked up, I was very startled. I was interrupted from the very important thing that I was doing, which was scrolling social media on my phone. And I was paying attention. Now, was it an earthquake? And there came that pounding noise again. And the floor shook a second time. And that's when I realized that the noise and the floor wobble came from somebody, someone running heavily down the hallway just outside the door that I was sitting next to. And I hope that the list of our benefits have stomped like a giant into our lives today, shaking the ground we stand on, alerting us to God's presence, reminding us of where Jesus leads us when we follow him. We get access to all, all those benefits. And I hope that this morning we appreciate the benefits that God has gifted us with his son, Jesus Christ, and more than appreciate, I hope that we actively use these benefits now in our present day salvation. Last year, my daughter dropped her phone and then there was a whole thing that happened, her screen was shattered, and then the time, the expanse, the inconvenience, all that kind of brouhaha happened. And not a month ago, I was paying our phone bill and I noticed that with the plan we have, we can get a free screen replacement. I was so upset. Benefits are no good unless you use them. It would have been handy to know about that benefit last year. So now you know. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, increase the joy in us as we dwell in your presence. Increase the peace in us as we run to you. I don't want to say increase the suffering at all. That's not my prayer, Lord, but increase the endurance and the character and the hope 
that that brings in us, God. Thank you that we know the end of the story. Thank you that we can have hope in you, the completer of our hope. Thank you that we have hope of sharing in your glory. We praise your name. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.